If you have a Bible, we're looking at um, 2 Corinthians 2, 5 to chapter 3, verse 6, if you'd like to open up there, or otherwise you can see it on the screen also. 2 Corinthians 5 to chapter 3, verse 6. This is what God's word says. If anyone has caused pain, he has caused pain not so much to me, but to some degree, not to exaggerate, to all of you. This punishment by the majority is sufficient for that person. As a result, you should instead forgive and comfort him. Otherwise, he may be overwhelmed by excessive grief. Therefore, I urge you to reaffirm your love to him. I wrote for this purpose, to test your character to see if you are obedient in everything. Anyone you forgive, I do too. For what I have forgiven, if I have forgiven anything, it is for your benefit in the presence of Christ, so that we may not be taken advantage of by Satan, for we are not ignorant of his schemes. When I came to Troas to preach the gospel of Christ, even though the Lord opened a door for me, I had no rest in my spirit, because I did not find my brother Titus. Instead, I said goodbye to them and left for Macedonia. But thanks be to God, who always leads us in Christ's triumphal procession, and through us spreads the aroma of the knowledge of him in every place. For to God we are the fragrance of Christ among those who are being saved, and among those who are perishing. To some we are an aroma of death, leading to death, but to others an aroma of life, leading to life. Who is adequate for these things? For we do not market the word of God for profit like so many. On the contrary, we speak with sincerity in Christ, as from God and before God. Are we beginning to commend ourselves again? Or do we need, like some, letters of recommendation to you or from you? You yourselves are our letter, written on our hearts, known and read by everyone. You show that you are Christ's letter, delivered by us not written with ink, but with the spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of human hearts. Such is the confidence we have through Christ before God. It is not that we are competent in ourselves to claim anything as coming from ourselves, but our adequacy is from God. He has made us competent to be ministers of a new covenant, not of the letter, but of the spirit, for the letter kills, but the spirit gives life. These are God's words to us. Let's pray as we come to God's word. Speak, O Lord, as we come to you to receive the truth of your holy word. Take your truth, plant it deep in us, shape and fashion us in your likeness. Amen. We continue our little journey through uh, the book of 2 Corinthians and the 
big theme for, for this series is uh, God's transforming power in weakness. And uh, we've seen in recent weeks that uh, this is a messy situation into which Paul is uh, writing. Uh, there were, if we remember from the first letter that we have to, that Paul wrote to the Corinthian church, there were divisions in the church, there was immorality in the church that was even boasted about. Uh, there were also people that were coming in, preaching and proclaiming uh, a different gospel. They were seemingly from preaching the Old Testament law to the people of God there uh, without much reference or even any reference to Jesus. Now last week, we remember one thing I do remember is that, and I, I think it was fair enough to say, is last week was the authentic Christian message. And that is that all of God's promises find their yes in Jesus. All of God's great salvation plans for humanity, for planet Earth, for the cosmos, find their fulfilment and their yes in Jesus. All of them, yes in Jesus. Now, uh, if last week was the authentic Christian message, everything finds their fulfilment in Jesus, then today I think what we're looking at is uh, the authentic Christian ministry or authentic Christian living. In other words, living out the, the life, the new life that we have in Christ Jesus. And you'll be pleased to know I do have three headings today. Actually, I did go through about... I've had more headings in this sermon than I think I've had for many in a long time. I, I think I've gone through four iterations of different headings and different configurations of how to put this together. Uh, and there were four of them, four lots of four at one point. You'll be pleased to know I've just landed on three. I've got authentic Christian living, uh, showing forgiveness, sharing Jesus and sharpening reliance or shaping reliance. There's, there's where we're headed. So showing forgiveness... Uh, firstly, then, that uh, forgiveness that, that uh, we've been shown ourselves. Now, if, if all of God's plans find their fulfilment in Jesus, one thing we can say about that is, is that that work of Christ is a restorative work, a, for, a work that brings us forgiveness. If, if our sin and rebellion against God brought us alienation from God, separation, if you like, relationally from God, then the work of Jesus, the one in whom finds all of God's fulfilment and promises, is going to reverse that. It's going to bring restoration again. It's going to bring relationship again. And that's exactly the work of Christ. And if we are in Christ, if we've come to Christ, if we've received that forgiveness, if we've tasted that forgiveness, then we are to be a people who show that forgiveness to others. It's not like just good enough to talk about God and how much God has forgiven me, but I need to show that and live that out. Authentic Christian living is firstly showing forgiveness and we see that in these verses from 5 to 11. Uh, someone, and these verses speak of someone who's caused pain, not only to Paul to some extent, but also to all of the Christian believers in the church at Corinth. Now the church had been, uh, he says, severe in their punishment uh, of this person by the majority, verse 6, and possibly rightly so, uh, because that's, we need to deal with sin uh, carefully but also firmly, but... Because there was repentance on the part of this person, and that's quite obvious from all of what is being said here, Paul writes that it, that punishment given was sufficient. It's enough. It's time to move on. 
It's time to forgive that person. It's time to show restoration to that person. It's time to receive that person back. It's time to forgive them. It's time to reaffirm your love for this particular person. That's the ideas in verses 7 and 8 particularly there. Now we don't know the exact nature of the, of the grief that this person has caused. Uh, but we do know it's significant because it affected all of them. And uh, we know that, that it was uh, important for them to forgive because Paul writes, actually, uh, you need to forgive this person and, and I'm writing this to you just to see how you're going to go with this in, in living out the obedient Christian, authentic Christian life, in, in showing the forgiveness uh, to this particular person. And... Paul urges uh, them to not only forgive the person, to say, oh yes, we forgive you, brother, <laughs> but there's also a restoring of that person, a getting alongside that person. You remember, the, the, remember that comfort word that we, 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 we uh, came up with from 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 3 onward? That's, that, that comfort is what we need to give that person now. And it's not just there, there, have a nice day, have a cup of coffee and, or whatever it might happen to be and, you know, talk pleasantries to them. It's a word that's going to strengthen them in the things of God as this person is restored back into the Christian community. It's, it's a word with strength. It's to strengthen them. That's what the original word comfort means. It, it's from the Latin cum forte, with strength. Those of you who know how to play the piano, forte means loud. FF means extra loud. FFF, forte, forte, forte means the thing, smoke starts coming out of the thing and it breaks in half. You know what I'm talking about. You probably haven't seen me play the piano, but I do tend to break strings when, it's, uh, when I'm able to. But triple F or four Fs, wow, you don't want to be in the room when that happens. It means strength and coming alongside this brother that once caused grief and offence but now repented means we give him the strength that is from the Lord and we're restoring him. Now you might, I think that's what verses 7 and 11 are saying. Now you might say, well that's very obvious and probably very easy to do. Can I tell you, it's not easy to do because all of us struggle with forgiveness. i tell you what is easy. It is easy to hold the grudge against the person that's caused offence in the church. It's far too easy for us to do that. It's far too easy to replay in our head again and again and again and again what that person did that offended me. It's far too easy to, to retell uh, to others what that person did that offended me. And it's far too easy for us to... to, to Re, 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 go over and over and over again what you have done to me that you've caused offence that's the problem that we all have it's far too easy for us to replay in our heads to recount to others to retell to that particular person the offence and not forgive them uh, I did preach on uh, forgiveness just fairly recently as we looked at the Lord's Prayer. But in the back of my Bible I have these notes. How do we know that when, for when we've forgiven somebody else, when we don't keep on replaying in our head what they've done wrong, wrong, when we don't recount to others what they've 
done wrong, when we don't retell it to the person what they have done wrong. And also Thomas Watson, a Puritan theologian, wrote these words, when we don't seek revenge or do our enemies mischief, but ask that God would work in them, that's when we know we're starting to forgive. How do we know we're forgiven? When we're praying for them and when we don't laugh at their problems and as much as is possible within us to live at peace with them and be ready to help them. It's a costly thing to forgive. And we know the amount of the cost that it costs God to forgive us by sending his son to death for us and our rebellion. It's far too easy for me to minimise my sin and then to look at your sin and go, and I'm not looking at anyone in particular, to look at your sin, I'll look at the camera, to look at your sin and say, no, no, no. Uh, it's far too easy for us to minimise our own sin and to maximise yours and then to play that out in our heads and to blow it up and to make it bigger than what it ever was. And when this happens in church, guess who the winner is? It's not you because you think you are better than anyone else. It's Satan that's the winner here. He gets his foot in the door. He gets his foot in the door at both ends, either when we're too lenient with sin on the one hand or when we're too harsh with people, even when they've repented on the other. And he says here, Paul says, that Satan gets the, gets the foot in the door at the end because he will cause that person great distress and great grief, and great discouragement, even further. And the church will be divided. And I see it. I've seen it. You've seen it, probably. Why? Because we're all weak, flawed human beings. Yes, being restored by God and His Spirit, absolutely. But still struggling with sin in our weakness Authentic Christian living will mean that we are showing forgiveness. And that's why Paul needs to write these things because it's far too easy for us to, to not show that uh, forgiveness. So who, who, do, who do you need to forgive? Who do I need to forgive? In this room. In this room. Who do you need to forgive? But let's not just take it in this room because that's confinable. <laughs> what about in your home? Who do you need to forgive in your home? In your wider family? In your workplace? We need God's grace. I know I do. Because hurt people hurt people. And when I'm hurt, I far too easily will hurt you. And when I've been hurt, I will far too easily recount that and reflect that back to you if you've hurt me. Authentic Christian living is a circuit breaker in all of our lives that causes us to 
fall on our knees before God who has forgiven every single one of our offences. Every single one of them. And we will not be able to show forgiveness until we've drunk it in ourselves from the God of all compassion and mercy as Anna prayed for us earlier. Showing forgiveness. God has extended his genuine, extravagant, faithful, persistent, loving care upon us. May his grace help us to show that to others. Well, from an inward uh, Authentic Christian living, if you like, to us as God's people, showing forgiveness and seeing that people are restored. To the outworking, if you like, of authentic Christian living to the world. And here we see our second idea here, and that is sharing Jesus, sharing Jesus. I've been thinking about God's transforming power in weakness in this series And I think we see it here, this power, in verse 14. So it seems we do. For thanks be to God who always leads us in triumphal procession, Paul writes. Now, uh, I think great care is needed here as as we navigate through this. Because if we think about it, hang on a sec, Paul. You've not been in great triumphal procession. If we go back to read Acts 18, where Paul entered Corinth, we see that you know, he, he was opposed, he was abused, he was attacked, he was brought before the courts. And then, hang on a sec, Paul, you had a far more uh, you know, weakness brought upon you. You were, you were in other places, uh, mocked and thrown, in, thrown out of other cities. You were threatened, you were jailed, you were left destitute, you were left for dead, people tried to stone you. Uh, you were destitute, uh, did I did say that, you were destitute, you were shipwrecked. And, you know, hang on a sec, what's all this about triumphal procession? Doesn't sound very powerful to me, does it, Paul? Now, clearly what Paul has in mind here is something that the ancient Romans used to, to do, particularly after a victory battle, and it sort of does still happen, I guess, today, where uh, the generals waltz through the town, uh, you know, lots of noise, lots of incense to their gods, uh, so no one could miss this, uh, lots of people in procession, and then in that procession too, you had all of the captives that the general had uh, captured Uh, during the previous victory and they were in the procession as well so you had everyone from the general from the leader from the victor if you like right through to the captives and what Paul is saying here is somewhere somewhere in that great procession I'm there and we're left wondering I reckon purposefully Where is Paul in his heart and his mind, in his psyche, in his thinking? Is he one of these people that are, yeah, we're going to take this? No. He understands his weakness. He understands that, that Jesus is the king. He is the victor and I'm following him humbly in all my weakness as one of, if you like, his captives. But there's a great thing happening here. 
uh, in this great victory possession, procession led by God through the work of Christ, he says, I'm here. It's not some sort of triumphalistic idea of, you know, we're going to conquer this world and we're going to float above the clouds. No, we're following Jesus. In everything of life that is weakening us and troubling us, we're following him. And not only are we following him, we're sharing Jesus. We're telling others about Jesus. We're gossiping the gospel. We're engaging with people. We're allowing other people to see our lives. And Paul uses this word of aroma or fragrance. It's a good smell. It is the smell of Christ. He is the victor. The Romans might have had their great military victory processions with their incense to their gods, but no, we're following the Lord God. And there's an aroma going out from us, and it's Christ. It's not me. It's not the Anglican church. It's not even Toon Gabby Anglican It's We're pointing to Jesus. He is the king. He is the saviour. He is the victor. He is supreme. And we're sharing Jesus. And sharing Jesus brings great, deep, inner, lasting life change for those who come to him. He is an aroma that leads to life. But to those who are offended by Jesus and who are turned off by Jesus, the life giver, having rejected him, leads to death. Relational death to God, eternal judgment from God. For many people, the idea of, of Jesus, the King, that we need to bow to, is just not pleasant because I'm the boss of my life. No one tells me what to do. The idea of Jesus the King, God in the flesh dying on a cross is just foolishness. Why would you follow a dead leader? Certainly many in those days came to that conclusion. For many, the idea of Jesus dying on a cross for my sin, for my rebellion, is something that people don't want to admit because I've done nothing wrong. Oh, you need Jesus because you need a crutch or whatever they will go on about. And so, the aroma of Christ is turned from. And when you turn from the life giver, you end up in the death. Can I ask you today, what is Jesus to you? Is he a pleasant aroma, a sweet aroma? Because you know he has forgiven you and you've got a right relationship with God now because of him? Or is he an offence to you? Or maybe you don't care anymore because that stench has been blocked out by you for so long that you don't smell it anymore. Uh, you do realise that natural gas, I understand, I'm not a chemist, so please 
correct me if I'm wrong, even in the building now I don't mind a bit of heckling, um, I understand that natural gas is, uh, uh, does not have any aroma. And I also understand that uh, there was a town in the US some while ago that, uh, that turned the heating on in a school because it was winter and they needed it and the, and the, and the gas was escaping and no one knew about it until it blew up. And then they put a stench in the gas so you could smell it. If you get used to rejecting Jesus time after time, year after year, in the end, you'll not smell the danger that you're in. Paul writes, to reject Christ, to reject that fragrance, leads to death. And this weighed very, very heavily on Paul. And it should weigh very heavily on us as we share Jesus because he writes in 2.16, who is equal for such a task? Who is equal for such a task? And clearly, none of us are equal for such a task on our own. But thanks be to God, and we get to our third idea. He is our confidence. He is our competence. And Paul writes, yeah, we're not manipulating other people, but we speak with sincerity before God as one sent from God. His reliance, his competence was being sharpened and shaped. And it wasn't a confidence and a reliance and a, com a competence, confidence, reliance on himself. It was in Christ. In God alone. And now Paul and Timothy are not coming to impress others like other teachers were, that were hanging around with their letters of recommendation with some higher authority as if they were, you know, having their competence in their own selves. But Paul says, my letter of recommendation comes from a much higher, more significant, even supernatural means. And he says, it's you, Corinthian church. You are written on my heart and Christ has written on your hearts. You are written on my heart. He had great care for them and Christ had written on their hearts and that's all he needed. He didn't need other recommendations, didn't need a diploma from a, this university or, or a degree from here. He didn't need you know, church recommendations from higher authorities. No, he says, God has worked in you. And everyone can see that. This life-changing heart work which God through Christ had been doing by his spirit in chapter 3, verse 3. It wasn't a letter written with ink like the law was, but a letter written in their heart by the spirit of God. Now the letter of the law, although it is right and good, ultimately, what does it do? The law shows us how far we fall short of God. That's what the law does. And in contrast to the other teachers who'd come in, who were teaching the law without any reference to Christ, the fulfilment of the law, he says, this law is just killing you. It's killing you. 
Because to preach the law without reference to Christ is to miss God's great and eternal salvation plan. To preach the law without preaching Christ to fulfilment is like, as Paul Barnett says in his commentary, it's like ripping the last chapter of the mystery novel out of the book and you get to it with all of the clues but you still can't quite figure it out. And he says, you know, we preach Christ and he has come, he has forgiven us, he has brought us into right relationship with God. We're sharing Jesus with other people. And you know, when we come to Jesus, the fulfilment of the promises of God, he gives us his spirit. That's God's great salvation plan. It's transforming us, not from the outside, not just on the face, but from the inside, in the heart. And the Old Testament prophesies regarding this. The forgiveness of sins, the coming of the Spirit, the new heart in Ezekiel and Jeremiah among two that speak very clearly of this. But the law couldn't do that because all it could do was tell us what to do. For my quote, Simon Manchester, God no longer just gives us a rule book which says, this is how you should live. He has given us his Son who perfectly kept the rule book and Jesus takes our tainted rule book and says that he will pay for all of our mistakes and he is offered to us by his mercy, his performance, so that we might be forgiven and stand before God without fault. And when a person believes in him, he is their saviour and that person begins a new life under a new covenant with a new heart and spirit within, and a change of life. God is in the life-changing business. And it's through Christ, the fulfilment of all of his plans, and the coming of the Spirit. He has provided, he has promised, he has provided, he will do it. And here is Paul's reliance, sharpening his reliance up, It's not on himself, it's not on his strength or capacity or capability or wisdom. It's not on his credentials, he had plenty of them. It's not on his successes, it's not on his ability or the audience that he might have been able to argue uh, with his fine-sounding arguments. No, it's not um, on his Twitter followers or Facebook friends or New York bestsellers or whatever it is. His reliance has been sharpened and shapened. It's God. God is his reliance, not himself. And so he writes, we are confident, three, uh, chapter 3, verses 4 to 6, we are confident of this because of our great trust in God through Christ. It is not that we think we are qualified to do anything on our own. Our qualification comes from God. He has enabled us to be ministers of this new covenant covenant that jesus brings in through his blood shed on the cross the covenant which jesus brings in pouring out the spirit of god in our hearts that we can call god father changed lives yes still struggling with sin yes still in our weaknesses but reliant on god sharing jesus and showing forgiveness. Authentic Christian living. 
and we need God's help. So let me pray. We go in faith our own great weakness feeling and needing more each day thy grace to know. Heavenly Father, we pray for your strength that we would turn away from any accomplishments of our own and seek you, that we may live authentically for you, showing forgiveness as we've been shown, sharing Jesus, the King and Saviour, and having our reliance sharpened, not on ourselves, our abilities, but on you. Thank you for your mercy. We pray that we will rest in you, and in your name we will go. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen.